0: So
1: I, I saw a 107-year-old a woman this week dancing. It was really, it was really something. I, it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't live. It was a, it was a, a video. My, my friend Chief sends me these. I'm on this email listserv, and he sends us every morning the morning song, and he, he puts a lot of thought into it. It's always a YouTube, usually a YouTube clip, and it puts a lot of thought into the song sometimes it's, it, 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 it relates to the, to the day and what's going on in the world, and a lot of thought into the video. So it's just a moment to, he, he's a former a record store, ran, ran a record store, so it's just like, you know, to wander into the mind of someone who knows everything about music. And he sent me this video um, a, a, that I saw this week, and it was by David Orlovsky and David Berg, Bergmuller, um, and the song was called Eileen, Eileen and um, I click on, and I hear the sound of, of a clarinet and a string instrument, turns out to be a lute, and there's this woman, Eileen, and her hair is white, and her skin is all, all lines, all, all, all wrinkles, her hair is so white, just pure white, and the director of the video, they're, they're playing with this imagery. she has a white flowing dress also, and there's smoke kind of billowing behind her and she's holding a, a white fan. And it's beautiful. And, and she is beautiful. And then she starts dancing. And she's still seated, but she's dancing with her, with her hands. But you can tell that she's a dancer. You can tell she's been a dancer for a long time. And, um, and she's, she's dancing and she is stunning. Yeah, I, was so, I was so moved, I, I started to tear up. Um, the video wasn't about her age, but they, they, they definitely weren't hiding it either. It was like, th- this is who she is. This, and part of who she is, is that she's 107, I looked it up afterwards, she's 107 years old. And this is what that kind of beauty looks like. Um, and, and this is what that kind of face looks like. And, and that was really it, was that, that face. That face new things, the things that, that you and I don't yet know. So I, I thought about Eileen, Eileen Kramer. I thought about Eileen Kramer this week as I was reading the Parsha and I came across the legendary Serach Bat Asher and she is truly one of the greatest figures in rabbinical, rabbinic literature they, 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 should make a movie about her or in LA. So maybe, maybe someone will, All right, I get a cut. I, I, I told you about it, um, but her legend is recorded, as I said, in rabbinic literature, um, but it all, it all starts with a, with a verse in this week's Parsha. Uh, actually, not this week, it all starts, really starts with a ver- verse way back in Genesis, toward the end of, of the book of Genesis. Jacob and his family are descending to Egypt and they record all of the names of those who went down to Egypt, 70 people, starting with Jacob's daughter, Dina and his 11 sons, Joseph is, is in Egypt, and um, then they list the children of, of, of Jacob's sons, and when it gets to Asher, it says, Uv'nei Asher, Yimna veYishva veYishvi uvriah veSerach achotam. The children of Asher were Yimna, Yishva, Yishvi, Briya and their sister Serach. And that already is interesting because she's the only sister mentioned in that generation? Were, were there no girls born to the family? So, or, or is there something noteworthy about her that the Torah wants to highlight? And then in this week's census, the last great census um, in the Torah, in the Book of Numbers, when we get to Asher's descendants, there's Sarah again. And this time she seems even more highlighted. She has a whole verse to herself and it uses this kind of declarative language, Veshem bat asher sarach, and the name of Asher's daughter was Sarah. Okay, so Sarah was notable then, and she's even more prominent now, as we record these names, That's, th- those are enough clues for the rabbis to conclude that the Torah wants to tell us something, that there was something distinct about this woman. And Rashi gives us their theory, Manakan, he says, she's counted here, because she lived that whole time, through all this time. That is, she's one of the ones who went down to Egypt, and she's still here now, hundreds of years later, as they're about to enter the land. In other words, she's the oldest woman alive. Okay? So now, the question is, what is it about this woman? What's kept her alive for so long? What's her her secret? And what has she seen in all that time? What wisdom is she holding? And now the rabbinic storytelling really begins. And whatever else I say today, I I just wanna share this stuff with you because it's just pure gold. Um, So there are three main legends um, about Serach Bat Asher that um, each mark three major turning points in the journey down to Egypt and back out again. The first one is in Midrash Gadol, and, uh, and it is that Serach was the one who told Jacob that Joseph was still alive. Okay, When, when, uh, when Joseph's brothers came back from Egypt, having discovered that Joseph is now second in command down there, um, they were worried about telling their father, Jacob, because he thought Joseph was dead all these years, that it would be too much of a shock. Maybe his, his soul would leave him, he would, he would be so startled. So they asked Serach to do it. And what did she do? She waited until he was davening. She waited until he was praying. And then she said "Blashon tema" in a, in a tone of wonder. And this is just beautiful. Yosef v'mitzrayim, yoldulo al birkayim, menashe Ephraim. Like a, a little poem. Joseph is in Egypt and on his knees were born menashe and Ephraim. She sort of sings it to him. It's like, as he's praying, just like gently, gently put it in his ear. So she was already remarkable, even as a young woman. And she was the one who, who helped us who cleared the way for us to, to travel down to Egypt, to find um, sustenance and to find Joseph again. Okay. The second great story of Sarah, Asher is in Pirkei de Ezer, another um, wonderful Midrash. And um, in this story, Sarah is the one who confirmed that Moses was the true redeemer. Because Joseph had told his brothers at the end of Genesis that God promised to redeem them from Egypt, and Joseph told them that with the language, God will, he will redeem you. And that, that doubled language, Joseph repeats twice. And then when Moshe arrives on the scene, he delivered this message from God and used the same language, same doubling there. like a secret code, but no one knew the code except for this old woman. And they went and they asked Serach, and uh, at first they told her there's this guy who's performing like miracles, and she's like, ah, I don't listen to that that nonsense. And then she said, well, he also said, She said, oh, that's the guy. That's the guy. You can trust this guy. So Serach was the key to our redemption. Key to our redemption. Okay, the third uh, story is in the Talmud. It's actually recorded in a lot of places, but it's, it's my favorite. Serach is the one who told Moshe where Joseph's where bones were, where Joseph's bones were. And that was another thing that Joseph had said at the end of the book of Genesis. When you do um, get out of here, bring my bones up with you. I don't, want to be, I don't want to be stuck here. I don't want to be buried here. Bring my bones up with you into, um, into the promised land. So during the Exodus, while everybody's scrambling to get out, the Torah says that Moses took Joseph's bones with him. Like in the midst of all this, Moses goes and, and gets Joseph's bones. But, but this is hundreds of years later. How does, how does Moshe know where to find them? Serachbat Asher was the only one who remained from that generation. And Moses went to ask her, Do you have any idea where Joseph is buried? And she said, Oh, yeah. The Egyptians, they made a metal casket for him and, it's, and they sunk it into the Nile so that its waters would be blessed by him. Now, well, that sounds like bad news. Hard to get that out of the Nile. But then there's this very dramatic scene where Moshe goes to the Nile. Moshe knows the Nile well, right? And he, and he calls out to Joseph and he, 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 he says, it's time and you have to come up out of the... And, and there's like a silence and then a rumbling and the metal casket suddenly pops to the, to the top of the water. right? It's really like really blockbuster stuff, right? <laughs> Let's make a movie. Um, so, and the Moshe grabbed it and ran, and the, and, and the oath would be fulfilled, and Joseph was finally going to leave Egypt, all thanks to Serach bat Asher. Okay, great stories. I mean, just great, great stuff. But what do all these stories have in common? Why is Serach again and again the key figure in all of these stories? What, what is it about her? There's lots that we could analyze here, you know, themes that, uh, that, that, that we see across these various stories, mystical secrets, maybe, the, the key to, to Serach's power. But for today, I just want to state the obvious. The reason that Serach is revered, the reason that she's so special, that she is the one that the people turn to again and again in these critical moments in the story of our people is because she was old. She was old, and we love old people in this tradition, we do. We think old people are very important by virtue of their being old. Time served counts for something. We think getting old is a good thing, being old is a privilege, and having old people around is a treasure. You know, Moses himself was 80 when he led the revolution. Abraham was 75 when he heard God's call, when his life really began, Nobody really does anything meaningful around here before they go gray. And I I say all this, and I wanna emphasize this today because it stands in such stark contrast, such contradistinction to the culture that we live in today. A culture that, that celebrates youth almost desperately. All the technological progress, the rapid rate of change since the industrial age has us focusing our attention on the future and so always focusing on the next generation, the next generation. And our, our hyper concern for physical beauty in this culture doesn't help. Right, This city might just be the, the center of that. It's a culture that encourages us all to look as good as we can and the, and the peak for that physical perfection is around... 20, 25, and after that you're just deteriorating, just holding on. Even even our health-conscious culture, which is so good in many ways, often serves the same purpose, to make us feel that aging is the enemy. And so, inevitably, this culture comes to have less and less respect for the oldest among us. Companies hire younger and younger people, and it becomes harder to get a job as we age. Age becomes a liability. We follow younger artists and musicians in search of the next big thing, and we're strangely uninterested in in artists that have been honing their craft for decades. We make fun of the president. I hear this all the time because he's so old and incompetent when actually the idea that a 79-year-old man can do that job puts most of the rest of us to shame, right? He's still not as old as Moses was, right? Shout out to the president. And actually, this is heresy, Eddie Car. but shout out to the near octogenarians on both sides of the aisle. (laughs) Politics aside, just for being old. That's impressive. And here's the point. It's not impressive because despite their age, they're still kicking around. They are impressive... In this tradition, because of their age. Because we esteem life in this tradition, and so we esteem anyone who has managed to live a lot of it. And we presume that their life experience is valuable, that there's wisdom that the oldest among us carry that we need, desperately need. Unless you think, This is all just nice talk. It's so so easy to casually praise our elders with no real obligation to do anything about it. On the contrary, in this tradition, we have a very formal and mandatory way of honoring the elderly. We have a mitzvah. Leviticus chapter 19, parashat Kedoshim says in clear black letters: "Mipnei seva takum vahdarta pnei zaken v'yareta melohecha ani You shall rise before the aged, and you shall glorify the face of the elderly, and you shall revere your God, I am the eternal. There's three parts to that verse. You shall rise before the aged. And that's taken literally by the halachic literature. And I come from a culture that really does that. I've seen that in traditional Jewish spaces. An old person walks into the room, and people stand up. And there are other practices. Legal practices don't don't sit in their seat, don't contradict them in public, at least not so quickly, right? Okay, and then you shall glorify the face of the elderly. What does that mean? Hadarta, literally consider their face to be especially beautiful. And I think Moses must have felt that way when he looked into Serachbat Asher's face, and I felt that way this week when I looked into Eileen Kramer's face. All those lines, all those glorious lines. And last part of the verse, you shall revere your God. What's that that doing here? What's what's the connection? But the connection's so obvious, right? Because no one's older than God. It reminds me of this great Spanish proverb. Mas sabe el diablo por viejo que por diablo. The devil knows more because he's old than because he's the devil. Well, in our, in our tradition, it's God, uh, not the devil. But that's one of the names we use for God in, 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 in the Kabbalistic tradition, the, the Atik Yomin, the Ancient of Days. But, but we don't have to stretch to, 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 the, to the Kabbalistic literature. Even our most common name for God, the one that we, the Shem Havaya, right, the one that we don't pronounce, really means the Eternal One. The one who was, is, and will ever be. And the point is that one way to describe God is to speak of something infinitely old, infinitely wise, infinitely experienced. And that means that being old is being, in a sense, godlike. And so, of course, we rise before that which is divine. That is a Jewish ethic. That is a mitzvah. It is also good news for all of us, because we are all aging. We will all, if we're lucky, get old enough to become irrelevant in the culture of eternal youth. But in this culture, among our people, we are aging not towards irrelevance, but towards glory. In this tradition, we get better with age. So I wanna encourage everyone to rise before the aged, at least, if not physically, spiritually, rise before the aged, to take them very seriously, to cherish their wisdom, to practice showing the honor and the care that we one day hope to receive. And I wanna encourage everyone, as we age our way through this journey together, to keep fighting pharaohs, keep searching for the promised land, and to keep dancing.
0: Hi, it's Rabbi Brous again. Thank you so much for listening. Want more content like this? I hope you'll subscribe and please consider making a contribution to IKAR so we can continue to work toward the fulfillment of our mission to reanimate Jewish life, to embody moral courage, to nurture the spirit, and to work to decipher what it means to be a human being in the world today. Visit our website at ikar.org. That's I-K-A-R.org. And I hope to see you, maybe even in person, sometime soon.